The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Today, more than ever, moral strength and courage are desperately needed. We're living in some of the most turbulent times since World War II, the defeat of the Nazis, and the fall of the Berlin Wall. Now a great threat of Islamic terrorism calls for brave leadership and a willingness to stand up and resist evil. But where do you turn to find the courage and the strength to confront the days in which we're living? Hello, I'm Christine Darg. Daniel 11.32 says that the people who know their God will be strong and do exploits. That's been the theme of our ministry for many years. Let me repeat that the verse says in part that those who know their God shall be strong and do exploits. One very practical modern translation renders it, the people who know their God will be strong and do what needs to be done. Hopefully that's speaking of me and also of you. Now the word exploits isn't actually in the original Hebrew version of Daniel 11.32. The King James translators inserted exploits to try to explain the essential meaning of the verse. The Hebrew actually says that the people who know their God will be strong and take action. To be strong can be interpreted physically as well as emotionally. And I'd like to venture to say that the text makes room for strength in every dimension of life, in every circumstance, because strength is needed on so many levels. One thing I've enjoyed through the years is sitting at the feet of rabbis and Hebrew scholars in Jerusalem. The Jewish scholars emphasize that a wide margin of meaning can be potentially attributed to each word and phrase in the Bible. For example, the rabbis say that, first of all, there's a simple and plain meaning to a Bible text. This basic understanding of a verse is likened to arriving at the temple on Mount Zion. But based upon the text and context, there can also be a deeper level of meaning called a remez, which means the verse hints at something deeper. This level of Bible study and meditation can be likened to entering into the temple courts and discovering God's secrets. There are deep levels of meaning for those who study and meditate upon God's Word that can be likened to entering the inner courts, even the Holy of Holies. So when Daniel 11.32 speaks of God's people being strong and doing exploits, we can expect ever-increasing revelation and abilities according to our faith. Ultimately, we can press into God for the promises of this verse to be strong physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and morally. In fact, Perhaps the greatest strength needed in this hour is moral strength. This would involve our character, our courage, and boldness. 
But just when moral courage is needed the most, it's disconcerting how weak many of our Western leaders seem to be. It's as if some of our political and church leaders are drugged by the end-time opiate, which the Bible calls strong delusion. In fact, a strong delusion was prophesied by the Apostle Paul for the last days, especially for the tribulation period. But it seems a strong delusion is already operating and deception abounds on every side. Trust levels in Western politicians has never been lower and the news media is increasingly distrusted. One definition of moral courage is the fortitude and ability to take action for moral reasons despite the risk of adverse or dangerous consequences. And certainly in our hour, courage is required to be strong and to take action despite potential consequences. It's inevitable that moral courage involves careful thought and deliberate action based upon moral reasoning. Our times require physical courage when the consequences are punishment or bodily harm due to the spread of terrorism. I believe a perfect example of recent moral courage was the dignity of the long line of Egyptian Christians who were beheaded on a North African beach by ISIS terrorists. They bravely called on the name of the Lord as they were brutally murdered by savage terrorists. Well, it's interesting to me that scholars say Daniel 11.32, those who know their God will be strong and do exploits, was a prophecy concerning the Jewish Maccabees. Scholars think the prophet Daniel was anticipating the great persecution of the Jews under one of the forerunners and types of the Antichrist named Atiochus Epiphanes. But the followers of a brave priest warrior named Judah Maccabee were strong and knew their God. And so they refused to bow before Greek idols. The Maccabees led a rebel army and they took control of Judea. They reduced the influence of Hellenism upon the Jews. Yehuda HaMaccabee was a Kohen, a Jewish priest, and a son of a priest named Matthias. Judah led the Maccabean revolt against the Seleucid Empire in the year 167 BC to regain Jewish independence in the Holy Land. And the popular winter Jewish feast of Hanukkah, also called the Festival of Lights or the Feast of Dedication, commemorates the restoration of Jewish worship at the temple in Jerusalem as a result of the cleansing of the temple by Judah Maccabee. According to rabbinic tradition, the victorious Maccabees could only find a small jug of oil that had with inside uncontaminated remains of the temple oil by virtue of a seal. And although the small jug only contained enough oil to sustain the temple menorah for one day, miraculously the oil burned for eight days, by which time more consecrated oil could be produced. Now the term Maccabees used to describe the Jewish army is taken from a Hebrew word for hammer, 
because they were said to strike hammer blows against their enemies. You see, God empowered them in a sense in the same way that he had empowered Samson and David and David's mighty men. Jews refer to the Maccabees, but the family is more commonly known as the Hasmoneans. Even today, in modern Israel, the name Maccabee is synonymous with strength, and many sports-related activities bear the name. By God's grace, the Maccabees accomplished great exploits, and you can read of the wonders of their moral courage in the history of Judah Maccabee and his brethren in the Apocrypha in 1st and 2nd Maccabees. And their feats also included heroic suffering. Mothers and sons became martyrs who endured horrific tortures with amazing character. They held fast to their faith to the end. The Maccabees and many like them are alluded to in the Hall of Faith in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 11. That famous chapter mentions that some brave believers were not delivered from suffering in this present world, but they were stoned. Some were sawn asunder. Some were burned to death. And yet in their intense sufferings, they were not separated from their God. Nothing their enemies did to them could defeat their moral courage. They accomplished exploits in martyrdom because they knew their God. The Maccabees helped to uphold the light of Israel at a very dark time because they understood the times and they held the line. So as I said, Daniel 11.32 was part of a prophecy that relates to a very important period of the history of the Jews when the Maccabees destroyed great armies of aliens and with divine help, they saved their nation from destruction. The Maccabees raised the Jews to a level of renown equal to some of the good kings from David's line. The prophet Zechariah described this glorious period, saying that God had raised up the sons of Zion against the sons of Greece and made them as the sword of a mighty man. This type of moral courage also describes the strength of the early Jewish church in Jerusalem. And what was the secret of the martyr-like devotion of the early church in Rome? It was all derived from the power of God, because power does belong to God, and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Intimate knowledge of their God kept all of these heroes strong. And moral courage also characterized the age of the Reformation in the church in the times of the Gentiles. Strong leaders were raised up by God to give the truth back to the world, truth that had been lost in the church. And true knowledge of God makes men and women strong, and it certainly makes nations strong. Where there's no true knowledge of God, when God is banned from schools and courts and so forth, nations become weak. But now let's talk for a moment about being strong physically. That's also, I believe, a part of the promise in Daniel 11.32. I shared with you recently one of my favorite verses, Deuteronomy 33.25, which promises that as our days are, so our strength shall be 
frankly, I know very few believers who actually cling to this verse or believe it's even possible. They make plans to grow old. Arthritis and diseases are taken for granted as if decrepitude and senility are inevitable. But this verse promises that our strength will be equal to our days. Another version puts it like this. Your strength will be like iron as long as you live. I love that. Now I know some people will bristle at this because the churches, unfortunately, are full of doubt and unbelief. And many people don't even realize that they're marinating in a state of doubt and unbelief because it's become quite the norm to be sick and poorly in the churches. But in the Bible, I have to tell you that sickness in the life of a child of God is generally looked upon as a reproach. Did you even know that? The Bible continually speaks of being in health as the ideal. There's certainly no beatitude in the Bible for being sick. Well, I have an Orthodox Jewish friend who writes to me on Facebook from time to time that if Jesus really was the Messiah and the Son of God, why don't his words come true? That Christians should go into the hospitals and raise up everybody from their sick beds and their death beds. Why, he asks, aren't the hospitals emptied by praying Christians? But the problem is, God requires faith from the sick. They're supposed to call for the elders of the church, according to James chapter 5, and the prayer of faith will raise them up. And if they've committed any sins, the sins will be forgiven them. But it's true that the Great Commission in Mark 16, 18 promises power to lay hands on the sick, and the sick shall recover. But the sick have to want the prayer in the first place. Prayer cannot be imposed upon the sick against their will. Some people actually even enjoy being sick. So if I went into the nearest hospital and willy-nilly started laying hands on people and praying for them, first of all, I would be violating their privacy. It never ceases to amaze me how many people really don't want prayer. And sometimes, if the truth be told, secret sins prevent God's healing power from penetrating into the sick person to heal them. Their souls need healing first. And their faith also needs healing many times. One of my great friends, Miss Florence, a blessed memory, who used to run a prayer house with us in Gethsemane in Jerusalem, was healed of cancer. But before she was healed physically, first of all, she had to get her faith healed. Her faith in God had been run down and it was deficient. She had to attend a lot of healing schools, sitting under God's word, hour after hour, to get her faith back up into ascendancy. But when genuine faith is involved, God promises to heal his obedient children every time because all of his promises are yes and amen for those who believe. And here's another thought. Those who know their God will be strong physically because we're related to the great physician. He not only makes house calls free of charge, but if we know him, he actually lives with us 24-7, and therefore he's always on call. He's promised that he won't allow any sickness to come upon us 
subject to certain conditions. For example, there's a key healing verse in Exodus 15, 26. God says, if you listen, if you listen obediently to how God tells you to live in his presence, obeying his commandments and keeping all his laws, then he says, I won't strike you with all the diseases that I inflicted on the Egyptians because I am the Lord, your healer. That word healer, rofe, means literally to stitch up and mend like with a needle and thread. So if I personally know the physician of physicians, how can I remain sick? If I remain sick, it can only mean that I haven't been doing everything that he's asked me to do. Well, that idea makes people bristle, but let's look at God's word and let's consider the Lord's opinion on the matter. Our God is no respecter of persons, but he definitely is a respecter of his principles and his word. So let's see what Proverbs chapter 3 and verses 7 to 8 say. This uh, passage gives us three basic steps of health. First of all, it says, don't be wise in your own eyes. Then secondly, it says, fear the Lord. And step three is plain and simple, depart from evil. And what will the results be? It says, then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. This amazing little instruction in Proverbs, God's book of wisdom, teaches us that if we humble ourselves, if we have a holy reverential fear of the Lord, and if we shun evil, we'll be healthy. That's plain and simple. In these programs, I always want to emphasize that we're not against doctors. We're not against nurses or medicine in our ministry. No. People who have devoted their lives to the medical profession do great exploits in saving lives and helping in emergencies and so forth. But praise the Lord, the bottom line of divine health means that we'll have no need of hospitals, no need of injections and so forth because our bones will produce healthy marrow, our blood will be pure. And because we have chosen to, to depart from evil, there will be no fear of contracting HIV and venereal diseases and so forth. It's time we really learn to trust the Lord our healer because recently in the news, it was reported that antibiotics are no longer able to overcome some hospital bugs. According to a report on the BBC, scientists have warned that the world is on the edge of a post-antibiotic era after finding bacteria that's resistant to all the drugs used when all other treatments have failed. Their report identifies bacteria that's able to shrug off colistin in patients and livestock in China. Experts say the worrying development should be a global wake-up call. Not only that, but can we even always count on our doctors? What if they strike? Then to whom will we go? In the UK, junior doctors voted for the first time an all-out strike in the history of the National Health Services. A 98% vote in favor was confirmed despite fears for patients. So isn't it time enough to have established a relationship with the Lord our healer? He's never going to go on strike as long as we are his obedient children. 
And mental health in these perilous days is also important. Those who know their God will also be strong mentally because we know the source of wisdom. The Lord is our source of wisdom. And if we know him, we'll know how to ask him for wisdom. Because one of my favorite verses, James 1, 5 says, and I call upon this verse all the time, if you lack wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give us wisdom liberally and he will not upbraid us. He will not rebuke us for asking. Now, I don't preach prosperity for the sake of prosperity, but the Bible does say that when we know God, we'll also be strong materially. In other words, you can expect for all of your material needs to be met by our Father in heaven. There will be no lack. Greedy aspects of the so-called prosperity gospel frighten a lot of people as a heresy. Instead, we should be talking about sufficiency. The Bible is full of promises and principles to obtain sufficient provision. Number one principle, there's the principle of giving, not hoarding, but giving, letting go. Jesus said, given it shall be given unto you. Secondly, there's the principle of sowing and scattering. The book of Proverbs says the generous soul will prosper and those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. The one who scatters increases and the one who withholds decreases. Principle number three, I believe the Bible teaches, tithing. Many Christians want to argue this point, but when discussing the habits of his co-religionists, Jesus didn't fault their practice of tithing. He said to the Pharisees in Luke eleven forty two concerning tithing, it was a practice that they ought to have done, but also without neglecting the love of God and justice. A fourth principle of being strong materially is honoring God with our first fruits. To me, this involves not only tithing, but timing. Our ministry purposes to give tithes and offerings first before other expenditures are met. Such a priority shows loyalty to God. And a fifth principle is not to gather finances by wrong means. Ill-gotten gains are condemned, of course, in the Bible. Just this past week, twice I was undercharged in stores, and when I pointed out the mistakes to the cashiers and that I actually owed them more money, they were shocked, saying that I could have gotten away with it. But I said, no, I'm a believer. I have to keep a clear conscience before God. Amen. Now, what about emotional strength? Dangerous times call for great emotional strength, and this truly requires knowing God. Too many believers fall to pieces because they're not knowing and trusting the Lord. In these last days, the people who know their God will be strong emotionally because we know the source of true joy. We know that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And we can be strong in days of adversity because we know that God will never leave us or forsake us. And He will see us through. This kind of knowing is a divine connection that results in strength, courage, energy, boldness, 
inventions, daring exploits, and good success. My husband and I worked for a number of years in Africa with evangelist Reinhard Bonke. And on one occasion, some lawyers in an East African country boasted to Reinhard that no evangelist had ever won permission to rent a certain venue for a gospel campaign. The enemies of the gospel in that nation boasted that every evangelist had always lost their bid to rent that particular field. This time, Reinhard said, you lose. And they did. That was bold. But God granted favor with officials for his ministry to obtain that field for a great gospel campaign. You see, the people who know their God will be strong in faith and do great exploits. These exploits of faith are not mere heroics, but they must be done in a manner consistent with biblical principles of love and justice. And many exploits have been done even on battlefields to save nations from darkness. We have to have a mind and a will to defend our nation, to defend our liberties and our faith. There are exploits wrought in prayer behind the scenes that the world knows nothing about. We have to be ready to do every good work. And our confidence is not in ourselves, but through the Lord we shall do valiantly. When we believe in Jesus the Messiah for the remission of our sins and life everlasting, we have nothing to fear. And hardness, the Bible says, must be endured by every good soldier of Jesus the Messiah. If we faint in the day of adversity, our strength is small. But Psalm 118 verse 17 declares, I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, did you notice that Daniel 11:32 didn't say they who know God will be strong, but it says the people who know their God will be strong and do exploits. So the Lord must be your God. Do you know the Lord? Is he your God? Have you invited him into your heart? I encourage you to do that right now so that you won't have to face dark days alone that are ahead. The Bible promises that all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved. Amen. Well, I hope during this time that we've had together that you've been encouraged and inspired to be strong, to be full of moral courage, and to resist the dangers of doubt and unbelief in these glorious days of gospel opportunities. The best exploit we can do in life is simply to know God and do the works that He has called us personally to do on an individual basis. And I want to encourage you to learn to read through the Bible consecutively, book by book, year after year, until the Lord comes. This type of systematic Bible study is so much more effective than reading devotionals, reading a verse here and a verse there. It's better than nothing, but it doesn't give you the connectiveness and cohesion of reading through the Bible systematically. And I'd like to invite you to visit our website at exploits.tv where you can view any of our videos online at any time, night or day. We also post news articles about Israel and end time prophecy. 
and we post porters for prayer for the peace of Jerusalem at least twice a week. We also send out an electronic news magazine called Exploits that you can receive by visiting our website and signing up there. And at our events page, you can read details about our next prayer convocation in the Holy Land. And please don't forget to tell your friends about our website and connect with us on the social media. And so until next time, contending for the faith and always praying for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Darg. Shalom. Recently, we received the good news that our Jerusalem channel has reached almost four and a half million views. Our online streaming video is watched in places as diverse as Russia, India, Nigeria, Indonesia, and Saudi Arabia. What a privilege to share the gospel around the world and make it available free of charge. But although we have hundreds and thousands learning Bible truths 24-7, there's only a tiny handful of viewers who are willing to actually stand with our ministry to help support this outreach. Every minute of video streaming costs money. So if you find our programs a blessing to your spiritual growth, please consider being a part of this outreach, first in Jerusalem, then to Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In the United States, we're a tax-deductible charity, and you can call us toll-free at 1-888-245-2692. In the UK, we're also a registered charity, and you can call us at 0300-561-TREBLE-5. At our website, you can make a donation by credit or debit card anytime. Thank you for being a part of the Jerusalem Channel.